0: So we're going to start, and I'm going to do a prayer-focused sermon today to get us kicked off. So think about this. What are you devoted to? What are you devoted to? Think about it in the most simplest terms. How many of you are devoted every morning to brushing your teeth? Probably if you're not raising your hand, you know, people are like, wow, of course I do. right, you're devoted. I'm going to brush those teeth. Uh, I'm a first thing in the morning brusher. Some people are after the breakfast brusher. You know, it doesn't matter. Just get it done before you interact with the public. Um, How about you're devoted to morning coffee? I'm devoted to that morning coffee. Maybe some of you are devoted to morning tea. That's okay. That's what some tea folks you like in the tea. Some of you are like, I'm devoted to my Mountain Dew. Whatever it is, you're devoted to it in the morning Right, you're devoted every evening. There's a point in the evening where I am devoted to wearing some kind of pants with an elastic waist. The evening sweatpants come out, no belts, no denim, we need sweatpants. Every I'm devoted to that. Every evening it's gotta happen. Or in the summer, elastic shorts if it's hot, but uh either way elastic's a key factor. Uh I devoted some of you are devoted to going to work, right? They do this funny thing if you don't, right? They stop paying you. Who knew, right? I'm devoted to work. I'm going to go. They require me to go. Even if you're working from home, you still have to go to your computer and log on and let them know you're there and this is real, right? We're devoted to a lot of things. We're going to do them. We have rhythms. We're going to do these things. Some of you, you're devoted to cleaning the house. You're devoted to mowing the lawn. You're devoted to a certain hobby, There's things we're devoted to. We're going to do them all the time, no matter what. They're important to us. And today we want to talk about being devoted to prayer. And I don't look at prayer as as the same significance as brushing your teeth. But um, I look at it in terms of it's a rhythm. It's something that we can do. And we're in fact, we're told to do all the time, to be devoted to prayer. So I just have one verse for us to look at today. But then I have a lot of other verses to talk about that one verse, so don't worry, it's not that short of a sermon. One verse, Colossians 4 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Continue steadfastly in prayer. It means that first part it means to continue to do something with intense effort, to keep on, to persist to be devoted. That's the, and it's a command. He said, you must be steadfast in prayer. You must be devoted in prayer. You must persist in prayer. You must keep on praying. That's the language of this verse. Keep on, continue steadfastly in prayer. That's his command for us. And we're going to get to the second part there. Why? Why? Why the big deal? Why the emphasis? Why 21 days of prayer? Why, Why is this so important? So, I'm going to give you some reasons why it's so important, and then we're going to talk about how we do it. Why do we need to do this? We are being hunted. Did you know that? Followers of Jesus are being hunted. Peter tells us this, 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We don't have, you know, African lions here, unless you go to the zoo. But what do we have here? We have mountain lions, cougars. What do they say about a cougar? You don't see it till it's eating you, right? You don't know they're there. They're silent. They stalk in trees. Like if, you've seen a, if you see a cougar, that's, it means he's probably been watching you for some amount of time, right? They're silent. They stalk. You come across paw prints, you know, and the paw on that cat's that big. Their heads are enormous, right? Think of that. You're on a walk in the woods, and a giant mountain lion is watching you from the tree, Right? So if you're a little slow, a little plump, you're looking real good to that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but this, we just need to think of that. This isn't made up. This is not being overly dramatic. This is not saying that every time your phone doesn't work, Satan is bothering you. That's not what I'm t- this is a serious reality that we're being hunted. There's an enemy that wants to derail your faith. There's an enemy that's hostile to God from the moment of creation. He was right there foiling it and introducing lies and he's continued to be opposed to Christ and opposed to everything about God and we as people are being hunted and we need to be praying. We need to be praying for God to strengthen us and to empower us and show us the traps and help us. So that's reason number one. We are being hunted by the enemy. Another reason we need to pray is that uh, we are surrounded by spiritual death, both within and without. So we're surrounded in our own life and in this world. This is another reason. Ephesians 2, 1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is where we live. We live on this earth. We live, we're born with a nature that desires to sin. We're in a culture that's influenced to sin by that same enemy. And so it's within us and it's around us. And it says we're by nature children of wrath. And so we're surrounded by spiritual death. We're surrounded by thinking and influences and desires that are contrary to God. Contrary to the very thing we want to do. The many times we want to live for Jesus and our own flesh battles us. And then the culture we live in battles us. And every influence around us is saying, no, live for yourself and do your own thing. And what does God have to do with it? So we, we're, we're hunted And we're surrounded by spiritual death. That's anything moving away from God is moving away from life. So we need to pray. The third one is Jesus' example in prayer. And it just never ceases to amaze me that Jesus, who is God in the flesh, he comes to earth and all the time he's on earth, he's doing things that we can't even imagine. Right? He's walking up to blind people and healing them and telling paralyzed people to get up and walk. And he's raising people from the dead right in front of people. He makes food to feed thousands. He's doing all these amazing things. And you think, well, he's, he's God in the flesh. And he's constantly praying. You would think, maybe he doesn't need to pray. Why would he pray? Who's he even talking to? He's talking to his father, but he's so one with the father. Does he need to pray and what we find in Jesus' life on earth, he's constantly praying. He's constantly praying. I'm going to show you a speed, a speed tour of this. Matthew 14, 23, after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Luke 6:12. in these days he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. He pulled an all-nighter, not because of finals and lack of studying. He prayed all night. Mark 1.35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Luke 5.15 and 16, but now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. Crowds everywhere. You think, oh, i got to be with them. i got to teach them and heal them and teach them. I don't have time to pray. Oh, he made time. He would withdraw. He would go away and pray. Luke 9, 18. Now, it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? So he's praying there. Luke 11, 1, Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. He prayed so much, they said, you've got to teach us how to do this. We don't know how to do this. We don't know what to do. You're doing it all the time. Teach us how to do this. This one is, tells us some of the nature or the manner of Jesus' prayer. Hebrews 5, 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. They were not rote, automatic prayers. They were not prayers sort of assuming, well, I know you already know this, God, but I'm just going to let you know, right? Loud cries and tears. He prayed with urgency, with emotion, with desperation, right? Work in this, save me from this, heal this, keep me on track. We, We don't know all the content of them, but they were not robotic, emotionless, putting in time prayers. It says he was heard because of his reverence. that He so honored and feared God. So there's three reasons why we need to focus on prayer. There's more out there, but these are three to get us going. We're being hunted, so we need God's strength and support and protection. We're surrounded by spiritual death all the time, pushing and poking and, and leading us and appealing to our flesh. We're constantly being pulled away from life, so we need prayer to surround us and empower us to stay focused on Christ and filled with the Spirit. And then we need to pray because Jesus clearly showed us we need to pray. If he needed to pray, then we certainly must pray. If he who has the power of God is desperate in prayer, we who do not are not the Son of God we must be praying. So here, that's, that's the beginning part. Continue, be devoted, do it all the time in prayer. And then it says this phrase, being watchful in it. And I puzzled on this a lot. I asked our Tuesday night prayer group, hey, what do you think this means to be watchful in prayer? And they said, you know, you're the preacher, you preach it, we're not giving you any help. No, that's not what they said. They gave great input. And then on Thursday night, our elders meeting, I said, what do you guys think this means? And we we talked about it at some length and just trying to get a sense. What does it mean to be watchful in prayer? What is, why that? You know, okay, steadfast, I get it, or urgent or passionate. No, he says, be watchful. So what does it mean? The word itself means to be alert, awake, means to be alive. That's always important to be alive when you're praying. Vigilant, expectant. that's probably the, the word we landed on with elders a lot. There was this idea of being expectant. So I think of it like a night watch. If any of you done any kind of security or any kind of job where you're up at night and you're watching, anybody done that kind of work? Yeah, all night long, and what are you you're just being vigilant? You're being alert. Maybe you have a pattern. Maybe you have some rounds that you do. I'm going to go around this building. I'm going to check the door, check the door, check the window, check the cameras. Maybe you're in a vehicle. I'm going to drive the perimeter. I'm going to look at certain things. But you're, you're expecting and looking for something to be out of place. You're looking for something that might need attention. You're looking for something that doesn't look right. So a night watch is they're, they're expecting it to happen. Everybody else, let's say maybe they've gone home or everyone else is doing another job in the plant or on the ship or whatever. Everyone else is is not watching, but the night watch is watching. That's their whole job is to be looking, to be scanning, to be observing, to be paying attention. We even actually have that going on right now. We have people on a safety team that are volunteering and they're not sitting in here listening to the sermon. They're walking around the building, and one of the things we were told... When uh, we had a safety church safety seminar a couple years back, the the director of it said, listen, most people come to church and they turn their antenna off. I'm safe. I'm with my people. Nothing ever happens at a church. I mean, nothing dangerous. We're hoping God's doing some stuff. But you're not alert. You're like, huh, that guy in the parking lot just kicked in that window. I don't know, I'm at church. It's not a problem. I'm just gonna go inside. But we need a couple people walking around whose antenna is up. Huh, should that guy be running away with three purses? That's weird. Maybe I'll alert somebody, right? Or, look, that person doesn't seem well. Maybe they're having a medical event. I'm going to check on them. They're alert. They're paying attention. They're scanning. They're going, what's going on around here? A lot of other people are not paying attention, but they're alert. And that's the idea of being watchful in prayer. You're alert. You're scanning. You're paying attention. Here's the opposite is that I'm sleepy, how many of you have prayer turn into a nap? We can be honest. Prayer naps can be very refreshing. You're re- urgently prayer, and I've had this in my office a few times. I'm praying, and I fall asleep, and I wake up, and I'm really scared. I'm like, wait, where am I? And I kind of look around, like, I don't, I don't know where I am, and then, you know, kind of re-engage. You're in your office. Everything's okay. Sometimes prayers are just unfocused, all right? You start praying, and you're praying for this thing, and then pretty soon you're in the garage, and i got this part I'm missing on my bike. Could it be around the corner? I can get that on Amazon. I'm going to get that one on Amazon. Wait, Amazon doesn't deliver in two days anymore, even though I'm paying for it to be two days. So. It, right? You're, you're unfocused. They're rote. You just say the same thing. They're disengaged, right? Your, your mouth's praying. You know you should be praying, but your mind and heart aren't there. There's just low expectations. Well oh, God, I want you to do this thing. I'm not really sure that you will or that you can or that you care. So I'll give an example that shows these two positions in contrast. And this is in Mark 14. This is Jesus' final night before the night he's arrested and going to the cross in the morning. says, and they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. I don't know how often they saw Jesus like that. You'd think that would alert them, that Jesus was greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. There's our word you think that would mean, like if he just told you that, you'd be like, oh, what is, what is going on? He's, he's sorrowful to death. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. You see those two contrasted? Jesus is extremely alert, extremely focused in prayer, watching and pleading with God and pouring out his soul, and the disciples are just can't stay away. And they did eat a big meal. I'm, you know, This is after the, the Passover meal. But still, you see that contrast. Jesus is alert and prayerful and concerned. He says, you guys need to be alert and prayerful. Praying. He says, Don't, not just for him, right? Praying for yourselves. Praying that you won't fall into temptation. And so we have those, that there. And I think the best piece of being watchful is praying, is watching with expectation. Something is going to happen. It's very different than praying, thinking nothing is going to happen. One of the best ways I can liken this to, it would be no surprise to you, is fishing. There's days you're fishing and you just, you, you can't help but catch fish. They're biting, they're everywhere, you're rejoicing, you're the hero. People, hey, what are you using, you know? And then there's other days where you're just staring at a lake. You're trolling for hours and you're just watching the end of that rod tip for hours and you're just waiting for that. There's a familiar tap-tap that's only a fish, and you're just staring, and eventually you start to think, ah, there's, they're not biting today. Nothing's happening. I even remember even last winter, I was doing kind of a late fish on the nooksack, and nothing was biting, and, and I was just, you just kind of lose focus. You lose expectation. All of a sudden, a fish hit, and I didn't have my bale set. I had 20 feet of line in front of my feet, couldn't set the hook. It looked, it looked like I'd never fished a day in my life. And of course I didn't catch that fish because I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't paying attention. I didn't have the drag ride. I had too much line out. I had all kinds of stuff goofed up. I wasn't expecting to catch a fish and I didn't catch a fish even though one was there. And so that's kind of the idea with prayer. That can happen. We're not expecting anything to happen. We're not expecting that God's going to do anything. We're not looking for anything to happen. We're just kind of going through the motions. And so when he's saying we want to be watchful in prayer, I think that's one of the best things about being, being watchful Or the clearest ex- explanations is that we're expecting something to happen. We're expecting that God's listening. We're expecting that he's engaged. We're expecting that he's going to show us something or do something or reveal something. So I want to give us three directions for how we can be watchful in prayer. I'll give you three directions. Up, in, and out. If we're going to be prayerful, if we're going to be expecting, if we're going to be praying continually watchful, here's three directions you can include in your prayer. First one is up. We want to focus up on God. In Colossians 3.1, he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. And so a lot of times our prayer is fueled only by what's happening on earth. This is broke and I don't have any money for that and this isn't working and I'm worried about that. And that is part of our prayer. But I want to encourage that our first part of our prayer is we just focus on God. What are you doing? What's happening? What's your kingdom about? How can I praise your name? How can I thank you for things? That we start focusing up Paying attention to God. The best way I know to do that is to have your Bible included in prayer. I usually read a passage that launches me into prayer. Or I, uh, the, the passage itself gives me the prayer. Either it can be a form of a praise or a form of a, oh, please never let me do that. That looks terrible, whatever that, that group just did. Or... But it focuses us on him, not on us. So we want to look up. We focus on God And we expect him to answer, to be present. We expect him to actually do something. These verses, I'm almost scared of them. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I usually try to find a way to make that say, well, unless, and maybe, and ah, does that make you a little squeamish? That's what Jesus said. Or there was a day when Jesus cursed a fig tree because it didn't have any fruit on it. And then they come by the next day. It says, as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Isn't that amazing? He's saying, hey, pray with faith, looking to God, focusing on God, and then actually expecting him to do something. I don't know how many of you have heard of the guy called George Mueller. Anybody read anything about George Mueller? He was There's his dates. 1805 to 1898. I've been reading a book. It's almost more like diary entries, I'd say, but it's called The Life of Trust. This guy, George Mueller, he had a kind of a wild teenage years. He comes to Christ, and God puts it in his heart that he's going to start a mission organization to send Bibles around the world, so he does that. Then he realizes that uh, people, in he's living in England at this time, you had to pay to go to school. So there's all these kids who are too poor to go to school. So he starts what he calls day schools to educate kids that can't afford to pay for school. And then he figures out there's some adults that don't have education. So he starts an adult day school. Then he starts a Sunday school to teach them about the Lord. And then the Lord puts it in his heart to start orphanages. So he decides to start three orphanages, or he ends up with three. I don't know if he decided to start three, to care for kids who've lost their parents. So this is an excerpt from this book, and I want you to look at how he's expecting God to answer and what he does. He says, this then was the primary reason for establishing the orphan house. I certainly did from my heart desire to be used by God to benefit the bodies of poor children, bereaved of both parents, and seek in other respects, with the help of God, to do them good for this life. I also particularly long to be used by God in getting the dear orphans trained up in the fear of God. But still, the first and primary object of the work was, and still is, that God might be magnified by the fact that the orphans under my care are provided with all they need only by prayer and faith, without anyone being asked by me or my fellow laborers whereby it may be seen that God is faithful still and hears prayer still. So his commitment was that he never asked for money ever. He never told people their needs. In fact, in one letter, the guy said, please tell me what you need and I'll send you money. He said, I can't. I only tell God what I need. So him and his fellow workers, they never asked for money. They never had a campaign. They never did any of that. They just prayed. And his point was, he wanted people to see that you can trust God and he still answers prayer. So I remember reading this book, The Life of Trust, and it's almost like a diary entry. It's like November 8th, you know, 1831. We had no food in the house for the orphans. He's got three houses, 100 kids. A hundred orphans. Like we're down to our last coal for the fire. So we've been praying all morning. And then he says, and then this dear brother showed up with a letter with two pounds and six shillings. And I have no idea what English money means, but that's what it said. And, uh, so, to, and so we bought what we needed. And then the next day somebody sold this new pair of boots they had and they gave us six shillings. And so now we bought flour. I mean, it's just this list. And sometimes he'll be going, we haven't had what we need. God's holding back for some reason. We don't know why, so we're just waiting. And this just went on year after year. I encourage encourage you to read it. It's fascinating. Just watching him. All we do is pray, and God provides. And sometimes he provided a lot, and sometimes it was very little, and sometimes they were right down. Like, we literally have no food in the house, and we drank the last cup of tea. It's literally like that. And then, oh, seven o'clock, somebody showed up. From, and they want, the best one was somebody mailed him like 40 pounds two weeks before he even started praying for this one urgent need. And it, came, it was from India or something. So it came like two months later. And here I'm whining about Amazon Prime. But, anyways, two months later. And he said, God supplied that need, it was already in the mail. Two weeks before I started praying, and I still prayed for it for 40 days, but it was already in the mail, and God supplied it. And this this is story after story after story. I just encourage you to read it. But the point was, he actually expected God to answer. He waited on God to answer. And I don't mean expecting like, come on now, God, let's go. Like that we're conjoling him along, but we're actually believing he's going to do it. So that's the first way I encourage us to be watchful in prayers. We look up to God. We focus on him. And we really believe that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Second one is that we pray inward. We pray inward. And here we're praying. This is that line Jesus gave those disciples. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Part of our prayer being watchful is going, "What's what's happening inside of me? Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So this inward prayer is that we pray and examine our hearts. How am I doing? Or what am I worried about? What's stressing me out? Why am I stressing that? out? What is that saying about what I'm believing? And there's just an examining part of prayer. And this could be a part where you make, you know, your needs and things known to the Lord. But there's also this, watching what's happening in my heart. What am I afraid of right now? What am I anxious about right now? What am I mad about right now? And letting the Lord kind of work and watch and show you, ah, here's something in your heart that's causing you fear. Let's work on that. Let's deal with that. Let's confess that. So, we're praying inward. What's happening in me? And we're watching. We're expecting that something needs to be checked there. The third one is we pray Outward. And so this is where we're praying for needs and requests and things going on. But it's also in that reality, again, that we're in a warfare. This was Paul talking to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. He said, you're not ever going to see me again, but here's what I want you to do. Pay careful attention to yourselves and and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. There it is. It's that word watchful. Be alert. Be watchful. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So part of our prayers were praying for the spiritual warfare of one another. Like, I know they're under attack, or I know they're being taught this doctrine, and it's not true. And we're praying, watching for that. The other thing we're praying outward is asking God to use our time. He says, look carefully then how you walk. Oh, I think I lost the reference on this one. This is in Ephesians 5. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Part of what we're praying outward is what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do this week? What do you you want me to do with my life? What is your will? What are the opportunities you're going to place in front of me? I'm going to show you another quote here from Mueller just to see how this works. When you're praying, God, how do you want to use me today? Don't you just see how he watched this play out in his life. He says, November 8th, I purposed to have gone to Trowbridge yesterday, but I'd settled it so on Friday evening with brother... He didn't put the name. But no sooner had I decided to do so than I felt no peace in the prospect of going. After having prayed about it on a Friday evening and yesterday morning, I determined not to go, and I felt sure the Lord had some reason for not allowing me to feel happy in the prospect of going. I began now to look out for blessings for this day, considering that the Lord had kept me here for good to some souls. This evening was especially led to press the truth on the conscience of the unconverted entreating and beseeching them and telling them also that I felt sure the Lord had, and mercy to some of them, kept me from going to Trowbridge. I spoke on Genesis 6, 1-5, which that alone blows me away. That's the Nephilim passage. (laughs) But he preached on it. Immediately after, I saw fruit of the word, and an individual fully opened his heart to me. I walked about with him till about 10 o'clock, even as long as I had any strength left. And he says, About 10 days afterwards, a brother told me of a poor drunkard who heard me that evening, and who since then had stayed up till about 12 o'clock every night to read the scriptures, and who had not been intoxicated since. So I thought it was really amazing how he said I was praying to go to this one place, and I felt the Lord saying, "You know, don't no, I, I don't have peace about you going." And uh, so he just said, "Well, then he must have something for me to do here." And so he was looking: Is there somebody you want me to talk to? Is there somebody you're re- you're wanting me to minister to? Is there somebody I need to preach to? And so you just see that expectancy. He prayed outward for his day, for his opportunities. And he says, "Lord, you're going to show me what they are." So when we're praying outward, we're watching for wolves, we're watching for danger, we're watching for praying for things that don't seem right, and we're praying for opportunities. What do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to talk to today? So there's, that was quick because I want to give us time to actually pray, not just talk about prayer. That's why I'm hurrying. Up, in, and out. We're watching God. We're believing He's going to do it. We're praying inward. Show me what's going on in my heart. We're praying outward. What's the danger around me? What are the opportunities around me? And he finally says, I don't want to miss this part. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. We always want to just be thanking. You've done this and you've blessed me with that. And so not just the asking and the putting in front of him, also just thanking. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you leads us to worship. Thank you leads us to gratitude. Thank you does all those things. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to actually pray. If you've been with us the last couple years, we've done this. If not, you'll hear about it right now. In your seat, could be stuck to the back of your pants, um, are these little sticky notes. And there's some pens. You also might be sitting on them. But uh, if you don't have one, if your neighbors got two, you know, make them share but what we do is we're writing prayer requests on these sheets. And if it's something sensitive, you know, leave out names. You could just say a friend is having a whatever, you know, you, if it's personal, you can just leave it kind of vague. Or if it's something you want specific. And I want you to actually, we're going to get up and we're going to stick them on the walls, on the pillars. And so that the next several Sundays we come in, we're going to have time in each service to walk around and pray over them. And it just, it's so beautiful to watch. People just put even their finger on it, and they're just praying for that request. And, uh, and, and then as we get towards the end of this campaign, we'll even have a place where you can put them. If you know your prayer was answered, you come take it off the wall and put it in the prayer answered location that we'll figure out later. But, um, so this is the time to be writing prayer requests down. You know, Get up in the room, move around, stick them to the wall. And, uh, and then if you're walking around, you can just start praying for them. It's also, if you're so brave, grab two or three people and say, let's pray together in a group right now. Some of you, may, this may be way out of your comfort zone, and you can just sit quietly where you are. Or you can read the Bible. You can pray to yourself. That's okay, too. But I encourage you to pray. Grab some people and pray. Write out prayer requests. Pray for the prayer requests. And we're going to take... Oh, it'll be like the next ten minutes to do this, so we're not in a hurry. Don't feel in a hurry. Let me pray, and then go ahead and, and start filling them out, getting up, praying over things, and then we'll we'll come back together in about ten minutes and close with the worship songs. Lord Jesus, we come to you. Let us be expectant, watchful, thankful prayers. Lord, there's many burdens represented in this room, and so we're going to physically write them and lay them before you and before one another, so that we can pray over the burdens in each other's lives. And we just ask for you to answer. Lord, we're believing that you have the power to answer, that you have the power to do everything that you say you can do. We believe you. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.